0: Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers.
1: Hi, this is Sandy Hassing, and I'm the Medical Director for the American Academy of Pediatrics Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. Today's conversation kicks off our clinical practice guideline implementation series. I'm particularly excited and delighted to be speaking today with Dr. Sarah Hampel. Sarah is a professor of pediatrics at Children's Mercy of Kansas City and the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Medicine. She practices obesity medicine at the Center for Children's Healthy Lifestyle and Nutrition and is the chair of the CPG subcommittee. And I was honored to serve as the vice chair on this subcommittee with Sarah. And we hope to give you some insight into our process, share some key insights about the latest evidence as well as give you some encouragement to move obesity care forward with evidence-based strategies and recommendations. Stay tuned for our conversation. First of all, Sarah, just welcome, and thank you for sharing your time with us today.
0: Thanks a lot, Sandy. It's a pleasure to be here and to be
1: able to share the
0: work of a very dedicated group of individuals who persisted through uh, the pandemic and many other challenges to be able to create this CPG, which, again, is the, the first guidance that we've had officially in, in 15 years about the care of children with obesity.
1: So I couldn't be more excited. and And I have had the pleasure and the distinct honor of co-chairing the the guidelines committee with you, Sarah. And, you know, this is a time, I think that is very important for the care of children with obesity and children and adolescents and their families, because we now have evidence that obesity treatment works. And that despite the complexity and the social determinants and and just the individual variation in the disease, we now uh, have guidelines that really lead us through that complexity and help us deliver treatment to children that will work for, for them and for their families. And, you know, the obesity journey has been long and I've known, we've known each other a long time. And when we first started, we were really, before there were any guidelines, groping for what would work for children and what how could we help our children and families. And then we had the guidelines in 2007, which started to give us a pathway, a path forward. And over the 15 years since those last guidelines, a lot of evidence has developed. And we understand the evidence, we understand the skills that we need, we understand more about the complexity of obesity, and now the path forward is becoming clearer. And I I think for all of us, for every pediatrician, this is such an important moment in, in the care of children with obesity.
0: I agree with that, Sandy. I know I was so excited in 2007 when the expert committee recommendations were released, and I still think they you know, were such a masterpiece. And the field of obesity and the scientific literature has just blown up, really. It's really expanded since then. And one of the things I'm so proud of about our CPG is there was such a careful process that was conducted to search the literature, to be very specific about the the criteria for inclusion in the technical review to make sure we have the highest quality of evidence available on which to make these recommendations so the you know tremendous amount of work went into the technical reports that are going to be coming out in conjunction with the CPG and i feel really confident that the the basis for our guidelines and the the additional consensus recommendations is very strong and there was a, a commitment, and remains a commitment, to applying the best evidence-based care in the treatment of these children and
1: families. And certainly, with obesity, we had some hurdles to to address at least. And one of them was really the fact that obesity is a chronic disease. And those of us who worked in the field for a long time kind of know this in 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 our bones because we see patients all the time who are suffering from. The, the disease process of obesity um, almost every body system is affected there are there are comorbidities in obesity that that we never thought to see in children that prior to the obesity epidemic we only saw in adults and so I think those of us who are intimately involved really don't feel it's surprising to say obesity is a chronic disease but to say those words to the public to people who haven't been intimately involved sometimes seems surprising. So I I really think that the committee worked hard to help people understand the the complexity and the extent of the disease, notwithstanding that we now have evidence that we can treat it. So how are you thinking about how do we help people understand sort of the importance of acknowledging obesity as a chronic disease? I think, that you know, we
0: definitely there's definitely a lot of writing in the CPG as well as in the the great AAP policy statement um, on weight bias and stigma that came out several years prior to the CPG. That really helps people understand that obesity is much more than ener- energy in versus energy out and what we eat and drink and how much activity we do. And I, I like to really start out by talking with families about this when I see them in clinic that I, we understand it is hard to be a healthy weight these days. There are a lot of things that are, are beginning to be known and that are still unknown that that contribute to a child's weight. And I think, you know, again, really helping people see that beyond the, the usual recommendations of eating uh, healthier and getting more physical activity, there is a lot more that we can do to support the child and family. And again, recognizing the, complex etiologies and and uh, interactions that are happening within their home their community even state and and, uh, other policies institutional policies that may be affecting a child's ability to be a healthy weight so i think it's one of those things where we need to continue to emphasize the chronic disease nature and also at the same time let families know and let our colleagues know we're about the whole. We're about health of the whole child. Um, that's what the AAP is is dedicated to, is improving the health of the whole child. And we, you know, as individual clinicians, want to help improve the health of the child physically, emotionally, and recognize all those drivers that are playing a role in the child's weight.
1: So well said. And you know, I, I in in uh, devising, you know, we've all worked on. Uh, implementation materials for the guidelines and teaching materials. And, um, you know, we we have in those teaching ma- materials a slide that talks about the, the social determinants of health and how they actually interact with our physiology and our, our hypothalamic pituitary axis, our neurophysiology, and how our environments change our physiology and change our biology. And I think that concept Also, it's really important to understanding that that obesity is not uh, about just individual choices and you're working with a clean slate, that the environment is actually working on our physiology and our biology uh, to change us. And those changes make it hard for, for many people to achieve a healthy weight. And so we see here that obesity is almost a paradigm disease about the impact of the environment. On, on the child. And so we as pediatricians strive to, to help the child be their healthiest possible selves as they move to that trajectory to adulthood. And I think we all see every day that the impact of an adverse environment of food insecurity, of weight bias and stigma, ACEs on physiology and how that impacts the child uh, and how in, obesity results and then you have a vicious cycle with obesity itself in this culture of stigma that is a stressor and how that impacts again on our physiology and and makes it harder and harder to achieve a healthy weight and i'm emphasizing that because i think when we first thought about obesity and we began to recognize oh we have an epidemic here of obesity we were still back in in the culture of this was some kind of individual failing of decision-making. And we know that it is not. So I think that it's important for all of us to come to the disease of obesity with a lot of understanding because our understanding then translates, just like you said, to the understanding of the patient and family and can remove some blame and guilt from them and help them, you know, take action uh, with us in participating in their obesity treatment one of the things that that has been striking to me about working through this cpg process has been you know the real concern now about the comorbidities and how they how much they do impact even young children with obesity and can you reflect a little about the journey about understanding the comorbidities and what that means to be treating comorbidities as we treat obesity
0: That's a great point, Sandy. That really one of the very exciting things I think about what lies ahead and and that there are many evidence-based tools now for treatment is that you can actually successfully treat the child's comorbidities as the child achieves a healthier weight. These comorbidities are real. They do need to be looked for and evaluated. And yet, you know, certainly not all hope is lost by any means. We have A lot of, again, evidence based tools that are available to help address the child's weight and in doing so address those comorbidities, which, as you said, could be medical, they could be psychological. There are a number of different ways that obesity affects the child and our understanding of that and our commitment to the whole child's health, I think is what's going to to really propel us as pediatricians to be able to help connect these families with available resources for helping them achieve a healthier weight and lower comorbidities.
1: So when we think about obesity treatment, the core part of obesity treatment is intensive health and lifestyle and behavioral treatment. And can you talk a little bit about how that's been put together in the CPG?
0: Sure so the committee uh based their recommendations and guidelines on the technical reports one of which was about treatment and one of which was about evaluation for comorbidities and the the treatment technical report looked at the question about what are clinic-based effective treatments for obesity and were able to detect a long history of family-based behavioral treatments as effective in helping children achieve a healthier weight. so that's what i like to think of as really the foundation or the base of the pyramid is intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment and it really does go beyond simple counseling to include more frequent contact and intensive contact with with families so We did look at the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommendations about at least 26 hours of comprehensive multi-component treatment involving nutrition, physical activity, behavior change, not just the what to do, but the how to do it is so important and being able to connect with resources that are able to help provide that intensive behavior change that then affects the child's eating, physical activity, sleep behaviors, good emotional health, all that goes into intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment. And, you know, again, finding where your resources are, we know those resources are limited, but they're growing and looking at where you could partner with colleagues in your your health community, such as uh, registered dietitian, nutritionist, behavior behavioral health specialist, exercise specialist to be able to provide multi-component intervention to help the child and to help the child achieve a healthier weight and and better overall health is kind of again the the base of the the base of the pyramid or the foundation of treatment. So that's you know that's what I would say in, in a very you know, very quick nutshell, you know, at least three months of duration, at least 26 hours worth of, of treatment is is what comprises intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment.
1: So that, and that's why you're chair of the committee, Sarah, because you could uh, give us such a great synopsis of that. One of the changes that has come about through reviewing the evidence and the guidelines is that we do not wait to to provide obesity treatment for the children when a child is diagnosed with obesity, treatment starts then. And I think this is a very important point to to have at the forefront. We know that there's no reason to wait. There's no benefit to waiting, but there's tremendous benefit to beginning treatment. And there's benefit to that child and family because hopefully we're catching obesity early and treatment itself is safe. There's no downside to treatment. So I think this is a really important point for people to focus on. When you identify a child with obesity, treatment starts then. And taking the whole child approach to that. So treatment starts, it's geared to the resources you have in your practice, the resources in the community, the resources the family has. But treatment starts immediately How big a change do you think that will make in people's approach to obesity? The fact that we're now looking at treatment starting at the moment of diagnosis?
0: You know, I think it, I'm hopeful that it will really encourage
1: clinicians
0: to, again, use the available resources that they have to talk in a, you know, in a patient centered, sensitive manner with patients and families about their child's weight and the, the health risks that are associated and also you know I'm so excited about the implementation tools that are going to be available because these are going to be such great resources for clinicians to be able to grab easily and to implement to help them talk about the issue again in a sensitive manner to be able to offer what available treatment options there are both you know within and outside the office and to be able to monitor again, the child's progress through that intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment. And to be able to know that structured weight management treatment actually is associated with a lower risk of disordered eating. We know that that's often a concern of parents and clinicians and other healthcare professionals. Am I going to Potentially induce an eating disorder if I talk about this with the child and family and again, the the systematic reviews that have been done indicate that structured weight management treatment is actually associated with a lower risk of disordered eating in in children with obesity. So I think that some comfort and reassurance will also provide that to the, the busy
1: clinician. You know, and it it just brings up a point to me, I think about a lot, so much of what we as clinicians understand about obesity, just like we were talking about earlier, if we understand obesity as a chronic disease and we understand the complexity, that helps us in our discussions with parents and families and patients. And if we understand that obesity treatment needs to begin immediately, that helps us tailor the treatment and initiate treatment and the other thing i think we there are many things involved here but one of the other things we really need to understand is the pervasiveness and impact of weight bias and stigma and i think that um it 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 has become evident that weight bias and stigma is embedded in our culture so there's probably not anybody who has obesity that hasn't been exposed to some weight bias and stigma, either through the media, to seeing media, whether it's through teasing of their peers, whether it's, you know, through through their own sort of absorption of what's in the culture. So I think that the other thing that, that's become clear is we have to understand how pervasive weight bias and stigma is, that we may have our own implicit bias, and how much understanding that and addressing that in a compassionate way is important for the actual delivery of treatment. So wouldn't you agree that that's another big change here in in how we're approaching these guidelines? I
0: agree. And I think, again, looking at how that has affected the child and family, certainly it may um, affect how the parents approach willingness to, you know, who have uh, obesity treatment because they're really concerned about the impact that weight bias bullying, for one thing, as you mentioned, is having on their their child. It can really affect a child's quality of life to be bullied consistently in in school or in other settings, and not really have the resources that they need to be able to to deal with that. So the AAP and and other organizations have. A lot of good resources about helping us being able as clinicians to help equip parents and kids to address that. And I think even in our own, among our own colleagues, Sandy, as you mentioned, weight bias is, is uh, present in healthcare professionals. And there are even things that can be done to help mitigate that, including the way that we talk about children with obesity rather than an obese child, for instance. We say the child with obesity. We also can look at our our charting practices, ways that we are, again, talking with with our peers as well as with schools and being an advocate for our patients with schools and different community organizations to help them understand that the tremendous impact that weight bias has on on the health of these kids, both physically and emotionally.
1: You know, we talked about intensive health, behavior, and lifestyle treatment as the core of all obesity treatment, as the core of comprehensive obesity treatment. But in these guidelines, we also spoke about uh, pharmacologic treatment and and metabolic and bariatric surgery, which I think have, uh, over these last 15 years, really come into their own as parts of the treatment armamentarium that we have uh, for our children with obesity, And I think pediatricians may be surprised at this. We know over the last several years, new pharmacologic agents have emerged, and this represents a sort of fertile field of learning for pediatricians about pharmacology to treat obesity. And... uh, shouldn't be shied away from, but should be acknowledged and addressed. And I think that there is learning to be had about what these agents do and how they can be helpful, as well as understanding the role of metabolic and bariatric surgery in the treatment of children with obesity. Were you surprised, Sarah, to see sort of this all coming together as sort of a, a package of treatment? Uh, intensive health and behavioral lifestyle treatment, pharmacology, and surgery, given that they've often been separated in the past. Oh, we'll do lifestyle treatment here and pharmacology over here and surgery over here. So, uh, you know, how did you, how do you see that coming together in the guidelines?
0: You know, I, I'm really excited about how the the guidelines present these different treatment options. It's part of acknowledging the disease of obesity and how our bodies resist losing weight and how we often need to, in addition for kids with severe obesity, have, yes, that foundation of intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment, but build upon that and add to that an intensifying treatment as needed for those, again, those kids with severe obesity that really need a, you know, An additional intervention to help get past again, that kind of metabolic set point that that we have that resists weight loss. And that's where pharmacotherapy and and metabolic and bariatric surgery can really play a role. And Again, for the child with severe obesity, that uh, needs to be a consideration sooner rather than later because, again, weight gain is typical. Um, It's hard enough to just stay the same weight. And so while you're working on these intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment modalities, it's important to also consider introducing, you know, in conjunction with those pharmacotherapy and consideration for metabolic and bariatric surgery when indicated. So it's not an either or, it's really this and sometimes this is needed and sometimes you know the most intensive treatment being metabolic and bariatric surgery sometimes that is needed as well and the you know the literature is strong that uh, not only are there great improvements in weight outcomes but also in comorbidities either um, you know totally ameliorating the comorbidities or at least improving them significantly
1: so you know we've we've talked about a lot of aspects of obesity treatment and now you know, to put us back in our, our offices and clinics, we know that we pediatricians and pediatric healthcare care providers are often the first folks that make the diagnosis of obesity for a child and family. And we do have a lot of tools at our disposal to help us interact with families in a way that is empowering for them and inclusive of them. And one of those tools is motivational interviewing. And we did feature motivational interviewing in the clinical practice guidelines as an extremely important, I might say almost essential tool in our ability to engage patients and families in treatment, to partner in treatment with them, to help them through the, the sort of exacerbating and remitting course that obesity often is. And so, you know, I think MI has come From being a a nice skill to have to, to really being an essential skill for pediatricians to have to treat obesity. And how have you in your own life seen the importance of MI as we've learned more and more about how essential this is to obesity treatment?
0: You know, I was first introduced to MI in medical school with a, a very valued mentor and then opportunities to interact with medical students and with residents really promoted it and you know, used it in my own practice and among my peers. And we've we've had a number of, of trainings at Children's Mercy for MI. Just again, seeing it, it has such value, not just in care of children with obesity, but also a number of different chronic conditions. So it's generalizable to other conditions. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. So that, you know, it doesn't end up taking a lot more time than maybe more of a traditional approach you know it's it's one of those definitely reinforcing practices that i do that kids you know again we want kids to be able and families to be able to surface their own intrinsic motivation for change i tell them you all are in the driver's seat you know your family best we're here to help you make these changes decide what changes you want to make and make the changes and then help you move on to improve your health in, you know, with, with perhaps other other changes, as well as, again, this, this other set of treatment tools that we have. And you can just see almost the relief on their faces when they see that we're not going to give them a list of 20 things that they need to change. We're going to talk about what, if anything, do they want to make a change in and and help them give them the tools that they need again the how not just the what but the how to actually make these changes and sustain these changes and it's empowering i think for the parents in their own role as parents and empowering them to make these changes and help their their children through the changes as well as siblings and you know really helps them start thinking of why do they want to be healthier and what will it mean for them it's much more effective in the long term than being you know being told what to do or having somebody impose their desire for what health should be versus you saying okay i you know i'm going to take charge of my own health so it's really been a very empowering technique to use in a variety of of clinical situations and again i think it gives parents and kids more self-confidence in what they can do and be successful with. And then we build on those successes to to think about the next steps.
1: I I couldn't agree with you more. And in thinking about MI, I often think it does two, two things in addition more globally. One is by using MI, you really do appreciate the whole child because you're really stepping back and sort of asking questions open ended questions that really get to the meaning of things for that child and the importance of things for that child and family but you're also at the same time being able to individualize treatment for that particular child and family so MI does these two very important things allows you to approach the whole child but also allows you to individualize treatment and those two things are core to an approach to obesity treatment so I think that we've seen MI as the years have progressed become more and more essential to how we're delivering obesity treatment. So Sarah, we know that, you know, in the traditional uh uh approach to evidence-based guidelines, it takes uh, 17 years before that evidence filters down into the frontline practice. And you know, we're we're all very aware of that. And can you reflect a little bit on how we tried to address that issue and really accelerate that process with front, our frontline pediatric health care providers? There was a very strong
0: focus on implementation from the very beginning. So that was in mind, like the, you know, begin with the end in mind, so to speak, was was even, you know, we, we were in a in a very... And great situation and that the Institute was already in existence and already seeing and, you know, understanding the challenges that pediatricians were having and, and that having that focus really from the beginning of what are the actionable things, tools, practices that could, that could be implemented. The focus on that from the beginning, I think, was really very helpful And the fact that we were able to really, I know it's taken a long time to develop the CPG, but we're going to be able to really help the pediatrician hit the ground running once the CPG is released because of these additional aids and resources that are, again, informed by the Institute's experience with wanting to know and and really seeking to know the barriers that members face.
1: Well, Sarah, we're kind of closing out our time together. There's so much more to talk about, but is there anything you especially wanted to say to the pediatricians about the guidelines as we're closing out our our podcast here?
0: You know, there is a lot, Sandy, um, like you say, but what I would like pediatricians to know is that there is effective treatment. You can implement this treatment successfully in your office. There are more evidence-based treatments now than ever, and we also are very actively seeking to help you in your office setting, in your clinical setting, be able to effectively treat children and families with obesity. So stay tuned.
1: Yes, yeah, stay tuned is right. And Sarah, thank you so much for taking time from your very busy schedule to, to really reflect a little bit on these really exciting new guidelines that we have for a, a evaluation and treatment of obesity. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Dr. Sarah Hampel. Here's our hope that you learn more about how the CPG was developed and how vital it will be to addressing the complexity of obesity as a disease and moving treatment forward. We understand this is hard work, and we hope the CPG, along with the implementation resources, can be a catalyst to moving your practice and community forward in treating overweight and obesity. Visit our website at wwwaporg slash obesitycpg to access the full suite of resources, including, but not limited to, The Clinical Practice Guideline on Evaluation and Treatment of Pediatric Obesity. The Algorithm for Screening, Diagnosis, Evaluation, and Treatment of Pediatric Obesity. CME Learning Modules on Obesity Assessment and Evaluation and Obesity Treatment. A Series of Clinical Decision Support Tools, including a Clinical Flow Sheet on Assessment and Evaluation and Another Clinical Flow for Treatment and Coding Card for the evaluation and treatment of pediatric obesity.